Guy Podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Steven. And Kyle. And it is Monday morning, Holocult. Let's get this shit kicked off right. That way the week goes by quick and it just doesn't suck. I can second that. You know? Nobody likes a sucky week. No, not at all. Um, I dug some digging into an interesting disappearance slash death today that we will be digging into. I was just going to do the bare bones on this episode, and then I started finding theories that just kind of went off the rails. So you're going to have to bear with me here. That's what we like. This is not put together well. So just stay tuned for this train wreck. But that's kind of our thing. Plane wreck. No disrespect. It's kind of our thing. But before we do that, we got to get through all the business. So check us out at all social medias, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, TikTok, Discord, Reddit. Search up the Hollis Guy podcast and find us there. If you have a paranormal experience you'd like to share for a future episode, Kyle's got some info that you're going to want to write down. I do have a little bit of information. I have the holophone number, which is going to be 618-556-0837. Or you can email us at holosguypodcast at gmail.com. You can record yourself on a voice memo app and send it over to that email. Or you can contact us uh, for a possible interview. You know, those are kind of wishy-washy because we're super busy, but we are considering that... We're trying our like best. Trying to do that more often. So there's that. And we're gonna we're gonna I I assure you that we will be trying to put more glee into our episodes. <laughs> I knew it was coming. <laughs> Some more glee and uh not believe everything. I uh because we're dumb. I thought about doing a new Patreon uh segment called Kyle and Steve react to one star reviews, but then I <laughs> felt like it would cause an influx of one star reviews. So we don't want that. We don't want to fall to the bottom of the tier there. No, I was just poking fun, man. It's funny. Yeah. Um, I like as it. insufferable as we can be. I like when people listen to the show and don't like it. And they think that, uh, we're an airport and they need to de- announce their departure and let us know. So thank you for that. <laughs> On to bigger and better things. Good times. Good times. <laughs> so, I heard a rumor that the Hollow Boys are going to be back in Kansas City at Metacon 2023. So. Just creating chaos. You're going to want to go and hang out with us if you want to hang out with us. We will, have, we will not be speaking. We have a table there. Uh, we'll just be kicking it. Soaking in the atmosphere. Um, it's going to be awesome. That is July 14th through 16th at the KCI Expo Center in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, Medicon 2023. It is loaded this year. It's one of the largest paranormal and metaphysical events in the country. They've got workshops, guest speakers, paranormal investigators, psychics, Sasquatch researchers, extraterrestrial enthusiasts, uh, energy healers, aura photos, astrologists, crystals, over 100 vendors, uh, two podcasters at least. That's pretty, that's pretty cool. Tons I mean, of, it's crazy that it's that big. I mean, they're our friends. Dude, it is. It is awesome. They they have it's put together. They put together an awesome, awesome setup down there. Well, if there's anything like last time, it's gonna be it's gonna be epic. The guest speakers are gonna be gnarly too. Uh, they got Travis Walton, 
alien abductee, fire in the sky guy, um, Andrea Perron from The Conjuring, John Zaffis, who collects haunted items. Uh, Stephanie Barton is a psychic medium. She will be speaking. Katie Stafford from Ghost of Devil's Perch will be speaking. Brad and Barry from Ghost Lab and Everyday Paranormal will have a speaking uh, session there. You're going to want to check it out. Again, that's July 14th through 16th, KCI Expo Center, Kansas City, Missouri, Metacon. Be there or be square. I get behind that. It's going to be a good time. We should have just got like half a table, which means we may or may not be at the table. Oh, yeah. Well, you know what? It's, <laughs> we'll be going. We'll be around. Yeah, we'll be around for sure. We'll be around. Because there's way too much cool shit there for me not to walk around and check out. Yeah, we're excited. Um, If you'd like to support the show, there's plenty of ways to do it. Like I said, we have a Patreon Go over there and check that out. There's extra content, uh, ad-free episodes, all sorts of goodies over there to look into. We have a Venmo. You can pop us a little monster money in there for our bad habits. Um, what else? We got a store up and running. We got some goodies. We're getting in the process of restocking the store. That You guys blew through what we had real quick, Yeah, which is the best problem to have. For sure. You can do the, the most important thing, and that's share the show word of mouth. Uh, shared on social media. You know how it all works. Keep the hollow cult growing. You can go to wherever you listen to podcasts, go to that podcaster and leave us a five-star rating and review. And I will gladly shout you out on a future episode. Today's five-star rating and review comes to us from our friend Blazy eight. I dig it. I dig it. Let's go. Uh, Blazy says great podcast for show. Great podcast. Love the banter. Great takes on all these subjects. It reminds me of the conversation I would have with my brothers back in the day. Keep up the great work. Well, Blazy, thank you for taking the time to leave us these kind words. Um, that's the vibe we go for, man. Just hanging out, talking about weird shit. Apparently, we need to do it more happily, though. Well, yeah, naturally. Because nothing perks up your mood like talking about government and alien abductions and mutilations and demonic oppression and uh sasquatch dismemberment i told you we're gonna have to put the magic school bus theme song behind all that stuff we will get sued most likely most likely oh and by the way but we'll do it happily there when we go to the metacon we are gonna have an unreleased shirt there as well so Ooh, any leftovers dibs. yeah any leftovers from that will then hit the store, the store. so just Get throwing ready. that out there. Get ready. All right. Where are we at? I've been talking my ass off. People are going to be pissed. Man, they'll get over it. That's true. Uh, listener submission of the day. Let me make this bigger so I can read it because I am old. Our listener submission of the day comes to us from our friend Jeff B. Jeff says, hey, fellas, I was listening to you touch on apocalyptic dreams again on your last episode, and I remembered I had recorded such a dream from my journal back in November. I'll add the full entry below. Sunday, November 22nd. I was at a backyard barbecue at night. It was on a wide, sloping lawn that ended in a forest. There was close to 10 other families there, mothers, fathers, children. Most of the people attending had migrated inside. I think the barbecue was beginning to wrap up. I was still out back looking up at the stars when someone next to me pointed out a shooting star. I looked over and saw several shooting stars. I walked over to the back door of the house and leaned in and informed everyone inside that there was a meteor shower. Everybody got excited and started 
bustling out the back. When we came back out, the entire sky was full of shooting stars. It was difficult to pick out the actual stars because everything was moving. I walked over to the tree line, noticing a bright light backlighting the forest. I had ignored it at first, thinking it was just moonlight, but I couldn't see the moon. The light was far too bright to be emanating from the moon. I walked to the edge of the forest and looked through the trees. The source of the light seemed to be beyond the horizon. I became suddenly aware that the only thing that could put off a light like that was a massive meteor. I immediately, or immediately after that, I had the realization that there was a deafening boom. It was the loudest sound I'd ever heard. The ground rocked violently beneath me, enough to knock me off my feet. I pulled myself up again and began to hear distant rumbling and shaking, increasing with intensity. I started walking back to the house, looking for my family, wanting to spend my last moments with them, knowing that the world was about to end. Whew. Jeff. That's not cool. Oh, man, that's heavy. Um, on an interesting note, I have had... S- <laughs> semi-apocalyptic dreams since I was little. I know I may have touched on it before, but I cannot remember. Uh, For a while, I would dream when I was younger of airplanes falling out of the sky and they would land right outside of my house. And I would go out to like inspect the debris and try to help, but there would be no one in them. All the luggage would be there scattered all about. The pieces of the plane would be scattered, but there would be no people in these planes. It was just empty planes. And I had that dream multiple times. A little bit later, I had a dream that I woke up or I had woke up in my dream, I guess. And I had walked outside and in the sky, there were three massive crosses just in the sky and everybody that knows me knows that I'm not religious or or any of that. And there were, they were just hovering in the sky to the West. And I was like, Oh shit. Like that's, this just got real. Yeah. That's not good. And so I start going to my neighbor's houses and I can't find anybody. Nobody's there. So I finally get to my buddy's house and I hear someone crying and, um, I hear it coming from their minivan. As I open up the minivan, his mom is in the floorboard behind the back seat and she's just crying. She's like, they're all gone. This is the end. And then I woke up. I was like, okay. That's terrible. I did have a meteor dream. Uh, It was after my kids were born. Born. It was, (laughs) I said born. After my kids were born, it was uh, me and Everett were playing in the backyard. We were playing with a wiffle ball and a wiffle ball bat. And um, just out of nowhere, this massive, massive meteor started heading right toward the earth. Like it just kept, like it started out small and as it got closer, it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And eventually it had just blotted out the entire sky. So I did what any dad would do. And I just pulled everything close to me and then I woke up. Um, I had another one after I got back from Florida last year. Uh, we were on the beach and the, I was on a, pier but it wasn't a pier that went out into the ocean it was a pier that kind of just went across the beach it was weird i'm not i'm wasn't even a real thing but it's it's strange and the boys were out in the water swimming and i was watching them from the pier and all of a sudden out of nowhere this massive wave just you can just see it coming and i remember feeling so helpless not being able to get to them before the wave got to us and right as it was cresting over the beach i woke up that's like that's got to be like the worst feeling ever too yeah to being helpless in that situation but it sounds like you probably 
alongside your mom have a lifetime of alien abductions oh yeah i was gonna bring that up on the night shift which i might but i'll go ahead and share it here i i don't know if we should no okay copy that. Should. only because if things progress i want it yeah and i don't need no fucking covert sticky hands <laughs> dipping in my kool-aid copy that uh, I, I will go with her and i'm gonna cry chop everybody i've seen him everyone do it. he will everyone's do it. getting cry chopped everybody gets the smoke so just i want to talk about it i want to talk about it i really do but i don't want to drop the ball on cool stuff yeah that's true that we could have in the hollow room here yeah uh and then if we do acquire a foreign that foreign body if you will you know you know we're gonna eventually get attacked by the cia or aliens we were standing outside where kyle was smoking and i was sending sos signals to any lights we saw in the sky we were trying so if we disappear tonight it is 100 percent my fault i second that <laughs> it is his fault well kyle have you had any apocalyptic dreams no i mean not that i can really think of my last one was in 2022 which a lot of people had i know they were spiking during the pandemic which is weird i was trying to go back through and find everybody's but as we read them we we kind of shelve them and it's i don't know it's weird but anyway let's get into this uh this episode that i have kind of put together you guys are gonna have to bear with me here because the timeline of events and the theories of everything here get very confusing and interesting and i'm gonna be all over the place but whatever cool they'll they'll definitely get a vibe for my confusion then so this what i'm gonna dive into here is the disappearance and death of United States Air Force Captain Craig Button. And I'm going to start this out with a quote from the U.S. Secretary of Defense in 1997, William Cohen. When asked about the mysterious disappearance of Craig, he said it's a mystery wrapped in an enigma inside of a riddle. It's from the Secretary of Defense. That's weird. The fact that he would even be talking about this is weird. Well, and the verbiage itself is strange. Yeah, like, like it is. It, it, it is, is it a just, mystery, and you're not. There's no. There's nothing else about it. Yeah, I assume he's talking from a point of being just kind of perplexed by it all, like just utter confusion, just being like, I I don't know even how to go about explaining this. Yeah, I didn't get a time as to when he said this, because I don't know if it's before or after they find. Craig's body. Gotcha. Uh, spoiler alert: Craig does. He doesn't make it. Not make it. So, R.I.P. Craig. R.I.P. Homie. Thoughts go out to your family. We don't know what happened to you, but we're sorry. <laughs> so, on April second, gleeful, nineteen ninety-seven, United States Air Force Captain Craig Button crashed his A-10 Thunderbolt II, also known as a Warthog, into the side of Gold Dust Peak in the Rocky Mountains in Colorado. Sounds like a tragic accident. The kicker is Craig had no reason to be in the Rocky Mountains, let alone Colorado. Before we get into it, we're going to talk about Craig a little bit. Uh, first, he was 32 years old at the time of his death. He had bl been flying airplanes since he was 17 years old and had dreamed of being a professional pilot. 
His friends and family described him as a straight shooter. He was polite. He was a perfectionist. He didn't smoke. He rarely drank. He attended the New York Institute of Technology and was a member of their Reserve Officer Training Corps program. He completed his time there and received a degree in aerospace engineering. So, essentially, he would have to be a pretty smart guy, I would think. Yeah, one would assume. Yeah, I don't feel like that's a very easy degree to accomplish. Well, I'm definitely not getting it. Same. Uh, One of his instructors had remarked that while at school in the ROTC program, his shoes were always shined up, and his next-door neighbor reports Craig as being a ridiculously hard worker. He almost immediately joined the Air Force after that, following in the footsteps of his father, Richard Button, who was a retired lieutenant colonel for the Air Force. Uh, He seemed to absolutely love being in the Air Force. After his basic training, he went and spent four years at Laughlin Air Force Base in Texas, where he was a flight instructor. After his four years in Laughlin, he transferred to the 355th Fighter Wing, an A-10 Thunderbolt unit at Davis, Monthan Air Force Base in Arizona. He had been an Air Force pilot for five years before his crash. Uh, everybody kind of knows what the Warthog is, I'm assuming. Uh, it's got two big turbine engines. and uh, It goes brap. Yeah, it goes brap. It's essentially just a tank killer. Like, it's got a monster, monster 30-millimeter cannon on the front that just rips. Crazy. Yeah, they shoot, like, these gigantic fucking uranium-depleted bullets that are, like, the size of milk jugs. They're just tank killers is what they are. They just roll through shit. And I'm just going to throw this out there. Pilots are pretty badass. Yeah. I couldn't imagine flying one of them fucking crazy planes. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was pretty, pretty dope. Um, on April 2nd, 1997, Craig Button took off in a single seat A-10 air attack aircraft on a training mission with two other A-10s from Davis Monthan Air Force Base. His jet was armed with four 500-pound Mark 82 bombs, 60 magnesium flares, and 120 metal chafe canisters. And its uh, GAU-8 Avenger gun was loaded with 575 live rounds of 30-millimeter ammunition. The training mission was a, a SAT-6, which is the f- was like the end of their training mission. That's when you you go out with live ordnance and you release the live ordnance. That's like the end of your training mission from what I read. I'm not in the Air Force, so I don't know, but I'm just putting on what, I, what I've dug in here. This would be the first time that Button ever dropped live ordnance out of the Warthog. The departure for the event was, or the departure was uneventful. Everything was relatively normal that April day. The weather wasn't bad. The wind was light. The visibility was good. The instructor pilot had led Button and the other trainee through an in-flight refueling drill. After the three planes were refueled, they uh, then descended down to about 500 feet above ground level to practice some low-altitude tactical navigation through the Sonoran deserts heading toward the ranges where they were going to uh, drop their ordnance. After a few minutes settling into the low altitude, Button silently broke off formation near Gila Bend and took off on his own in a northeast direction, heading toward the Four Corners area of Arizona, New Mexico, Utah, and Colorado. Because of the widely spaced formation being flown, they were essentially just flown in a wide in a wide V. Uh, the instructor had difficulty maintaining sight of Button. It was several minutes before he realized that Button had broken off from formation and took off. 
the a the a10 is reported not to have air search radar and the uh, low altitude training that they were doing its area is not controlled by air traffic control so there was no way to quickly find and identify buttons missing plane so essentially was he flying underneath radar at the time yes and they had switched his transponder off which they said right. is common when flying in formation with other pilots uh, the Civil Air Traffic Control radar station in Phoenix, Albuquerque, and Denver were only able to track his jet instead of positively identifying it. So they had, they saw a blip on the radar, but they didn't know it was Button's warthog. Despite this, his track was established and later verified by several people on the ground who were able to identify Button's A-10 as it passed their positions while flying approximately 500 miles. Uh on a more or less direct north-northeast course toward Aspen, Colorado, which essentially would end 800 miles off course. I mean, that's that's a little bit of a detour. Just to, just to take off and just no, no inclination, no nothing, just to break formation and just... It gives me Broken Arrow vibes, it's, which is... A pretty badass movie. If you haven't seen it, highly recommend it. Um, according to the wiki, the Wikipedia on Craig's disappearance, they have a timeline of his sightings. So at 11.58 a.m., he was seen at East Tucson, Arizona. 12.10, Apache Junction, Arizona. 12.11, several miles south of Theodore Roosevelt Lake. 12.29, north of Theodore Roosevelt Lake. 1243, approaching New Mexico. 1258, just inside of Colorado. 1 p.m. near Telluride, Colorado. 108 p.m. near Montrose, Colorado. 122 p.m., Button begins a zigzag pattern with his with this sighting between Grand Junction and Aspen, Colorado. 127, bearing to the northeast, Button is now north of Aspen. 130, Button is due south of his last position. 133, the A-10 is southeast of his last sighting. 135, north by northwest of his previous sighting, the A-10 is between Aspen and Grand Junction again. 137, Button is headed northeast. 140 is the last reported sighting. Button is northeast of, northeast of Aspen near, ironically enough, Craig's Peak and New York Mountain. His jet was spotted numerous times by observers on the ground. One observer, an off-duty pilot, said the jet maneuvered around bad weather. This observation suggested to the U.S. Air Force that the aircraft is being flown manually and purposefully. The Air Force, Colorado National Guard, and the Civil Air Patrol conducted an exhausting three-week search for the crash. A U-2 reconnaissance aircraft launched from Beale Air Force Base in Northern California and identified five possible crash sites high up in the Colorado Rockies. How are there five crash sites? Dude, apparently there are hella planes down up there. That people don't know about because people can't get to them. They'll crash and then they'll just they'll just be there. Either the people died on the planes or they walked out or. But like, I don't know. That's still confusing to me because how do they not get like reported? You know what I'm saying? Like you would think that they would be like, oh, no, a plane went down in this area. I mean, I understand if you can't get to it, I guess. But yeah, regardless, you think there would be some type of log like, hey, this plane will went down in this area. 
Let's look for it. And you would think that with the technology they have, they should be able to at least guesstimate or record. That's a better word. Record yeah. each plane crash that's up there. And whether you whether you know like, oh, this is Steve's plane. They'd be like, hey, this is plane 1A. Yeah, which this they, is plane 2B. They may have done afterwards. I'm assuming that that's just the sites that they saw and they're like, oh, shit. Like right, yeah, 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 yeah. And the, I just Googled how many planes have crashed in the Rocky Mountains. In the last few decades, nearly 600 planes have been lost in the Rocky Mountains. That wow. far exceeds crash statistics for anywhere except Alaska. That's crazy. I, is it because of the weather and stuff that, w- so. that way? Yeah, that I makes sense. So. Um. All right, let me get out of here. That's wild. Um, crash sites. Five possible crash sites in the Rockies on April twenty or on the twentieth of April, eighteen days after Button's aircraft disappeared, the crew of a Colorado Army National Guard high altitude Army aviation training site. Whew, their helicopter spotted what looked like aircraft wreckage on top of Gold Dust Peak in the Holy Cross Wilderness at an elevation of 13,265 feet. Bad weather, snow, and difficult terrain impeded the access to the crash site. It took several days before investigators could positively identify the wreckage of that of the missing A-10, and fragmentary remains were identified at the site. It took until July for the HATS pilot to fly a team of investigators to the site. By then, it was clear that Button's jet had impacted roughly 100 feet below the summit on the northwest face of Gold Dust Peak in Eagle County, roughly 15 miles southwest of Vail, Colorado. Impacts spread wreckage over the summit and onto the opposite side of the peak. Most pieces were recovered were barely two-inch pieces. They were gathered up and flown out in 700-pound bags. Well, I'm just going to say this. That already sounds like shenanigans to me. Yeah, I'm like... Like, dog, like, homie had to been cooking to only be able to find two-inch pieces. It just gets, it just gets weird. And then on man. top of that, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not finding shit two-inch pieces up in the mountains and stuff. And they just they just happened to find pieces that had his um Okay. Had, I'm already going okay. Yeah. Whatever like like the VIN number or whatever, oh. the identification <laughs> numbers of his plane. Of course, yeah. In two inch pieces. But these are like, man, these are these are pretty pristine here. Right. And that is no different than the mysterious ID at nine eleven. So yeah, right. let's uh okay. Nice try. So steep terrain, bad weather, and high winds, deep snow, rock slides, avalanches hampered the access site. They said there were even, which is, this is fucking weird to me too. They had avalanches? That's what they said. And you found two inch pieces. It's up there in the fucking Rockies. Get out of here. This is sus. They said rodents were even found to be chewing through the ropes of the recovery personnel. So it's cold enough to have avalanches. What? But you got rats chewing through their lines. It was several more when days. When does that happen? <laughs> well, we're just out here climbing on a mountain and this I have, is a fucking movie. I have rats eating my rope. I got to leave. This is like a fucking movie. That is the most insane shit I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> if you, if there are people out there that do mountain climbing and have rats eat your ropes, please email me and tell me I'm stupid. At 13,000 feet. Uh, yes, because there is not one part of my being that believes that shit. It's uh, not uh, saying it's not true. I'm just saying I don't fucking believe it. So, uh, 
Yeah. It was several more days before the wreckage was confirmed to be that of Captain Craig Button. His missing A-10. It took another four months for them to recover any human remains. Here we are with our questions. What caused Button to silently break formation and fly his plane 800 miles off course and smash into the side of Goldust Peak? John Travolta? True. Theories are all over the place. A year or so after the crash, Air Force or was ordered to release its report about the incident. The Air Force investigators interviewed more than 200 people, friends, relatives, co- colleagues, and fellow pilots. The report states that Button was a perfectionist, upset with his relationship with his pacifist mother, who was taught that joining the military was wrong, and a former girlfriend. The report says that when he was in college, his mother would not allow him to wear his ROTC uniform in the house. Button's mother and father had spent a week with their son in Tucson just a week before his final flight. They said that this ended amicably and there were no incidents reported. Button's former girlfriend, or Button and a former girlfriend had broken up after she declined a vague marriage proposal three years before. By 1996, he told his friends that he was over it and they recalled him throwing a Christmas card that he'd received from her in the trash. He called her on April 1st, 1997, the day before the crash, with a new number. The woman called him back four days after the crash, unaware that it was Button or what had happened. Okay. I'm going to go Sussy, sussy McSusstown. <laughs> who, who made the claim about his mental well-being? Uh, Was it a military analysis? Yeah, it was the, the okay. Air Force investigators. That's what I figured. That's what I figured. Because, ironically enough, in all these cases, they like to discredit these pilots. On top of that, in multiple cases in which I have read, they also say there was a breakup or a divorce or a cheating spouse or whatever the fucking case may be. And it's it's ridiculous. And on top of that, real quick here while I'm on my rant. Let you, her rip. You you mean to tell me you're going you're going to sit here and you're going to fucking tell me that you 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 know because there's it would be even harder after the fact to prove this stuff but you have a mentally unstable man and you're going to go hey fly this A10 Warhog with live ammunition and giant <laughs> missiles okay come on guys do better you're better than this you got to be. I have to have faith that you are better storytellers than this because this is ridiculous. I love it. And then you reuse, you rinse and repeat with the same damn MO for all these pilots and all these things that go wrong. I love it. I it's love pure it. pure insanity. <laughs> and we're just two dummies from corn-fed nowhere. So, so... According to the Air Force investigators' report, they concluded that it was probably a case of unrequited love, calling it, (laughs) quote, a dramatic example of a man who seems to have everything going for him in his life, yet cannot have the woman he loves passionately. And there you go. What I failed to mention, right? Okay. So this is sus anyway, that this man just breaks free, takes off. How old was he? 32. Just flies his plane into a mountain 800 miles. From How long has he been dating his old lady? They're not even together anymore. They broke up three years ago after he... he what? Tongue-in-cheek proposed to her. Yeah. 
That was three years prior to disappearance? Button and a former girlfriend broke up after she declined a vague marriage proposals three years prior. And then, By as, 96, as luck would have it, he magically calls her before the day. Come on. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I'm almost positive that happened in MH370. It's, almost identical. It is interesting. Come on, guys. It's That's, interesting. And, I mean, man, three years after the fact, and now you're going to do something crazy? So. Three years. So. What I failed to mention up to this point... Oh, yeah, you've been hiding details. ...is also interesting, right? The four 500-pound MK-82 bombs have not been found. Yeah, this is... It was John Travolta. I told you that. They're gone. Yeah, just like Broken Arrow. Same thing. Except it was nukes. Despite an exhaustive search involving metal detectors, ground-penetrating radar... The bombs were designed to survive the crash, and the United States Air Force expected to find them at the site intact. Furthermore, the aircraft's bomb racks were recovered in the wreckage, indicating that the bombs had not been released yet. They were still in lock position. Okay, that's weird. Weird. Because I would have assumed from that statement, assuming um, these things could take it, that he may have just dropped the payload like unarmed and not like actually yes. armed him and fired him. He just dropped the payload somewhere so somebody could pick it up. He had not released the bombs. That's weird. So th- would that suggest, at least as of right now, where we are in the story, would that suggest that somebody beat them to the punch to said crash site and recovered those bombs? Picked up the bombs. Is that possible without unlocking and all that shit? Because I don't know nothing about weapons. I don't either. And I'm like, well, they said most of it was in two inch pieces. How? But they recovered the bomb racks. I'm assuming the bomb racks are pretty fucking big. Yeah, that's a good point. Because you would assume that the bomb racks would also be in two inch pieces. Yeah. Unless they saw the locking. I I mean, I don't know. I don't know how bombs work either. I just know they explode and these apparently didn't. Or maybe they did because yet more than four dozen witnesses reported hearing loud explosions in northern Arizona near Telluride and Aspen, Colorado. Okay, see that right there would, to me, would explain the two-inch pieces if there was actually two-inch pieces, pieces, right? Yes. You had all these bombs going off. Okay, that's a little bit more believable story. So you would think that if he hit the ground with the bombs and they detonated, there would be no bomb rack left. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I agree with that 100%. However, no evidence was found to support the idea that Button had released the weapons where the explosions were heard. The MK-82 bomb can throw fragments of of the bomb more than a mile. Thorough examination of the wreckage revealed that the jet was very low on fuel, with somewhere between two and five minutes of fly time remaining. After after explosive ordnance teams scoured the entire region, the four bombs Button was carrying were nowhere to be found. The area around the crash site was cordoned off for months, with signage warning hikers that they could encounter bombs or 30mm shells in the area. One thing is clear, though. Button's fuel would have ran out long before it did if he had carried the bombs all the way to Gold Dust Peak. Dude, that was exactly what I was getting ready to ask. Because this is a military report... And because we don't have first-hand experience, what if the bombs were never loaded in the first place? I don't know, bro. Because, uh, once again, call out to my military friends, I don't know shit about planes and bombs and stuff, and neither does Steve. So my question is, 
do pilots individual individually check their payload before takeoff, or do they have other people check the payload before takeoff? Yeah, because I have no idea. If they had other people check the payload, they could be like, "Yeah, the payload's there. You're all good. You're square." And on the Warhog, is it? it are the bombs? Um, Inside the plane, or are they are they on the wings? Oh, yeah, I think they hang from the wings. I don't know. Okay, so they're right though. there. That kind of answers my question because he would have seen if the bombs were there. Assuming he's not part of this giant cover up in claiming that the bomb, you know, you know what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, there would not have been enough fuel to make the entire trip. It seems more likely that he dropped them someplace between Gila Bend and the final destination. But he couldn't because they were still in the lock position. So how does that happen? How does that work? I wonder if you can put them in the lock position without the bombs being there. You know how you just maybe. Like, I mean, I don't. But I don't fucking know. Is it possible at that point that he landed somewhere, dropped the payload? Because if he's flying under radar, he could have landed somewhere, dropped the payload, and then took back off. Uh, he wasn't flying under radar. He was being tracked, but they didn't know it was him. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. So he was a blip until after the fact. Gotcha. Then they linked it up. Then they him. figured it out. So he was airborne the entire time. Then. Uh, According to what we know. Yeah, because there's going to be a lot of shenanigans in that, too. Yep. That, oh, man. They said the Goldwater Range would make sense as a place to drop them, as well as one of the remote Indian nations, Navajo or Hopi, he flew over on his way to Goldust Peak. Again, loud explosions were reported in the areas he flew over, but no evidence came of the sounds, and nothing of the Mark 82s have ever been found. So... Wait a minute. Did I hear you right? Like, he flew over areas and there were explosions? They heard explosions. They didn't see explosions. They heard loud booms. So that would suggest that he dropped the payload and they went boom. Okay. So, this being said, I fell down a rabbit hole from this point. Good. Into... Because I'm in one right now. Conspiracy Theory 101 in this motherfucker. Let's go. We quote Alex Jones. It, Let's go. It, it gets nuts. So right off the rip, there is misinformation being put out about what the fuck went down that day. An anonymous email was sent out that said on Wednesday, April 2nd, Davis Monthan Air Force Base in southern Arizona reported that one of its A-10 aircraft, A-10 Warthog aircraft, went down on a training mission somewhere near Roosevelt Lake in the Superstition Mountains. The Air Force Base said the the plane was part of a flight of three and left its companions, last being sighted near the lake in the mountains. The mission was to the Goldwater Gunnery Range in south-central Arizona near Gila Bend. Uh, The weather was bad, but the search and rescue units were launched. However, um, they said the SNR was strange, not behaving as they normally did. They said that they called off any news helicopters because normally when some when a plane goes down, they find it pretty quick in that area because it's a common right. a common flight path. But and they, this is a different this is this conspiracy right you're reading is a different one than the case you're bringing up. This or is, is it going to be rumored to be the same case? Th- this is this happened the the same two three days after. This is about Craig Button. Okay, okay. I just wanted to double the check the information they're releasing does not line up with what really happened. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, so they're saying that the plane had already went down. They said, literally, they said, uh, one of its A-10 aircraft Warthog went down on a training mission. This is before they knew where the plane was or they knew the button was dead. 
So they already are putting this out into the media. Oh, so this is like one of them pre-planned fuck-ups. Yeah, not, not into the media, but an anonymous email came out from the Air Force Base to start putting them tendrils out there. Gotcha. Um, Saturday, it was released that a 10, an 11, 10 to 11-year-old kid in young Arizona who, had an, who was an aircraft fanatic had heard a plane flying over around noon. Wednesday, it was positively ID'd as an, as an A-10 due to its unmistakable twin rear engines. Uh, the military checked its radar tapes and found an unidentified radar, unidentified radar track that matched the child's observation. So now they're having to change their story, right? Because oh, they damn said kids it went always down. getting in the way. Kid came forward and said, "Yo, I saw you. You say it went down here. I saw this dude flying fucking so many miles over this way." Okay, so they're covering they're covering up the 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 whole flight plan then. Yes. Um. So I'm I'm getting a lot of this info this information from uh, an academia.edu website where uh, the person who wrote this paper did a lot of diving and he does some commentary here. Um, it says ordinarily search and rescue teams find military aircraft uh, that crash in these parts within a few hours, and there's participation of all local news helicopters, sort of a contest to see who will get the footage first. The newsies didn't get involved until very late on this one, and even then. It was with very limited participation. Also, the local media are really confused with this one. Normally, a disappeared plane story is just a small item, but it's been increasing in coverage every day. So the, he's commenting on this while the search was going on. Uh, the story the media has gotten from the Air Force Base gets new information with each telling. Even though the Air Force Base knew that the plane was armed, it took two days to convey that it was holding live uh, ordnance. The TV news anchors themselves are openly commenting that the missing plane story is bizarre. One channel has already started to speculate that the plane might have been stolen. I mean, the the withholding the live ordinance thing kind of makes sense. Because I feel like that would be a normal tactic that they would try to pull. Because they don't want to, A, they don't want to worry people. That's going to be their excuse. But more importantly, they don't want to fucking embarrass themselves is what it really comes down to. Yep. Um, where do we go from here? So it, he talks a little bit about, um, news coverage, what CNN's reporting. Uh, the air force is trying to downplay the, like the idea that this is the eighth. So at this point they're trying to downplay the idea that he stole the jet, right? You have to keep in mind that this was almost a year to the day after the Oklahoma city bombing. I'm pretty sure. So, well, the Oklahoma City bombing was the 19th. So this was two weeks before. Uh, let me just double check my shit here just to make sure. Uh, okay, Oklahoma City bombing was April 19th, 1995. This was April uh, 2nd. He went missing in 1997. So it would have been around the two-year anniversary of that. So the domestic terrorism aspect is still in everybody's minds. Right, yeah, that makes sense. And now sense. you have a plane that is gone with live ordinance. Yeah, not a good look. No, so the Air Which, Force is trying on to On top of that, that, that also aids to them keeping the live ordinance aspect hush-hush yeah. hush for a minute. Yep. Because they were probably hoping to recover the ordinance first before it even got out. That way nobody even knew about yep. it. Yep, just quiet, quiet them down. 
Um, they talk about the planes that are in search for it on the 9th. Uh, U-2 spy plane from the 9th, Re- 9th Reconnaissance Wing in Beale Air Force Base. Civil Air Patrol units from Colorado and Arizona. The Arizona Army National Guard, 1st Battalion, 258th Aviation, uh, Flying Helicopters, the 167th Wing Air National Guard from Tucson. Um, the EC-130 Airborne Battlefield Command and Control Center aircraft from the 42nd Combat was also looking, as well as the 305th Rescue Squadron at Davis-Monthan flying H-60 helicopters. The uh, Maricopa County Sheriffs also had helicopters out looking for Craig and his plane. From here, the Air Force takes a stance that they push heavy that the plane was not on autopilot. They want this narrative to be pushed through heavy. Because if you look at the flight path that the plane took, when he broke from formation, he probably flew 700 of those 800 miles in a straight path. No turns at all. Right at the end, there were, he made two Essentially, just two in-flight turns before he crashed. That sounds an awful lot like a plane on autopilot. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But they made multiple different um, statements that it was not on autopilot. Well, they want to push it that he made the decision himself. Like I said, the the first person who happened to see him was just an off-duty pilot it said the unidentified pilot told the Air Force the button had flew through what they call a sucker hole, which is a pocket of clear sky that was otherwise uh, overcast. So it made like that that encounter essentially pushed that button was in the plane making um, conscious decisions. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He's doing it of his own volition. He's he's in control of the situation. Yep. And then that was on the 9th they pushed that. On April 11th, the U.S. pilot U.S. pilot probably conscious when he vanished. Um, what? Why would you say that? Yep. The Air Force theory, pilot intentionally flew off course. So now they're really hammering down that Craig is the one, that Craig did this all by plan. He flew off on purpose. Right. Um, spy satellites on April 11th, they're reading the information. They picked up an infrared event, but no seismic readings. Air Force official reports that, or Air Force officials report that spy satellites have picked up evidence of what may have been an explosion. Sensors indicate an infrared event at the time the aircraft was in the area of New York Mountain the official said, but refused to comment on whether the infrared event could have been an A-10 plane crashing or the pilot dropping one of its four bombs. How did it take, the question this guy's asking, how did it take nine days for them to get this information? They said, yet if either of these scenarios are true, if it was the plane crash or the bomb dropping, why didn't any of the nearly 40 seismic sensors that are registering anything of a magnitude of a bomb exploding or a plane crash crashing pick up anything <clears throat> we are told that a plane crash the size of a Cessna would res- would register about 1.9 on our seismic Richter scales a jet bomber like the A-10 with live ordnance would be significantly more destructive than the Cessna so they're saying hey we saw the explosion 
But none of our instruments picked up this explosion. That's weird. Real. So that weird. would mean that would mean some type of interference with the Richter scales or the plane didn't crash there. The plane didn't crash there. And then you have augmented satellite photos. Right? Because they are the spy satellites. Yeah, it was just it was an infrared pickup. So it was like a heat signature, I'm assuming. Right. Yeah, but I mean, it could be augmented. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. You know, and then if it took X amount of days to get it from said organizations behind spy satellites, I mean, that's enough time to fake it. And or I could also understand it being hard to get that information from these organizations because they are, quote unquote, spy satellites. And I think everybody is kind of aware that a lot of times these companies or these organizations tend to drag their feet whenever they 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 get ordered to do these types of things. Oh, yeah. This, as this dude states, he says, this single fact is one of the most disturbing because it would indicate a number of things. How did a seismic event such as a plane with live ordnance exploding into the side of a mountain not only register on multiple of these 40 seismic locations, but it didn't register on any of them. Right. There was nothing there. Yeah. That means, like I said, it's some type of interference or, or somebody wiped the data. You know, there could be a lot of explanations to why that data never came forth. Yes. Yes. And keep in mind that he's doing this commentary prior to finding it. So he said, if there's no seismic signature, then if they suddenly find this A-10 plane parts up there on that side of the mountain, we can be fairly certain that these have either been planted. Shit, yeah. And in fact are a part of not the real lost A-10 or that the craft must have disintegrated or exploded and fell apart in midair. Given the amount of time that has transpired since Craig was last seen, the government could have easily collected some A-10 debris, dropped it off by helicopter, along with some pig parts if they didn't find the body of the pilot. Yeah. Yeah, that hit me when you were started hitting that. I was like, oh, man, they might have planted it there. Or how scary is that thought that they might have blown the son of a bitch out of the sky themselves? Because that's a terrifying thought. But it's it's one that would be made if they were under the assumption that he was going to do something nefarious (laughs) with that payload. Yep. Yep. Uh, April 13th, 1997, family and friends of Craig Button are absolutely baffled. Um, All of his friends from Texas and stuff say that he was just a regular all-American guy. He loved flying, looked forward to the future, got along with his parents. Uh, the only thing that made him different was his love of flying. He said everything that, like, he was all about it. See, and that, that doesn't make any sense as to why he would do something like that. Yep. You know, because if, if he had that, we all know people with that much passion for something. They don't, they don't just do that stuff. Um, On the day that he went missing, uh, let me see who these people are. Um... Craig Ben and Rosetta Pignette, who recently rented a home to Bert Button back in Brackenville, Texas, was the ones that described him as all American kid. Uh, the opinion said they received a letter from Button on April 2nd, the day he went missing, 1997, the day he disappeared, that indicated that everything was fine. Quote, flying is going well. I love the A-10. Most everything we do is low level. I'll be dropping live bombs this week. The gun is a blast. My folks were down for a week just recently, and I took them to the Grand Canyon. Would you believe that they'd never been there before? 
all of these, all of these just like, it's, it's just normal. You know, it's, it's just, yeah, normal. he seems like a normal, like a normal dude just living his life, you know? Yep. And he, and he obviously loves his job. Apparently there was nothing there to suggest anything out of the ordinary. Unless this dude had some crazy dark passengers you know, just mass skeletons in the closet. Which, I mean, I, that's not out of the question. No, yet, it's you know? always possible. I mean, people always hide their emotions. It happens all the time. But, man, it is hard. You got to admit, it is hard to just, like, successfully dupe everyone around you all the time. Yeah. Um, search efforts resumed. Father says son was not suicidal. In an interview from New York's Long Island, Button Father's Button's father was quoted on CNN as saying his son was not suicidal and was an honest and devoted flyer. Search efforts resumed Monday in the mountains of central Colorado for any sign of the plane. While rescue workers using radar images and photos taken by the U-2 and SR-71 Blackbird reconnaissance aircraft tried to narrow down the search area. It gets strange here. April 15th, 1997. NORAD and other key U.S. military bases set on high alert. So, right in the middle of all this commotion with lost pilots and everything, um, NORAD in Colorado, the Pentagon issued orders to tighten security at NORAD in Colorado and cancel all public tours of of the facility. They're saying that this is in the face of the second anniversary of the Oklahoma City bombing. They're thinking of an American terrorist threat. Now it's starting to look like you have an Air Force pilot with large ordnance taking off on his own accord. Yeah, but the MO wouldn't even be the same. No, but you have, you like, have... <sighs> it almost feeds the narrative that this guy goes off of his rocker, you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But it just seems like, uh, it, I don't know, I hate to say this, but it seems like a cop-out to put it on to Oklahoma City. Yeah. You yeah. know, it, well. That, that's the hot-button topic. Yeah, it's, you know? a, it's a fucking scapegoat. That's what that is. That's, just, that's an excuse to, you know, calm people down and, and kind of, like, you say something like that, because, like you said, that's a good point. The fact that it's it's still on people's minds, it's still hot enough for people to remember, and then you bring that up, and then and it, everybody, it, it, like, makes sense with them, like, oh, okay, I get, I understand why, yeah, you're right, you're right. But they they didn't actually say that that was why it was, they just used, I think they used the timing as that because right yeah yeah the dude yeah. says why didn't NORAD or the U.S. Space Command in Colorado come out and say what the security precautions for why not just use the cover story of the bombings trial as an excuse why decline to say I guess they didn't say what the additional security measures are for they're just like oh we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to fucking set this up yeah that's also not surprising when you're dealing with those types of things either though and and NORAD is like buried inside a bunker that it's supposed to like survive a direct hit from a nuke. So yeah, I don't think an 18 Warhawk is going to touch it then. No, or, or like if they're pulling off this McVeigh shit, like the dude that parks a truck, there's probably not going to fucking do anything. Uh, he's probably not even going to get his truck close enough. Yeah. And this guy said, I can, I could understand additional barriers to prevent suicide attacks, but to cancel the private tours is there their move their move to make it's almost like they had shit going on there that they didn't want anybody to know about right yeah and now you just happen to have this all coming forward as well 
and it's it's just uh, getting a little strange. Also, something that we need to put in perspective here was that in essentially almost the same area, less than a month before, we had the most documented UFO sighting since Roswell. Interesting. Which would be the Phoenix Lights. Interesting. And I know all of you UFO heads out there know what the Phoenix Lights is. There is, let me look through here. Like I said, this is kind of all over the place, but just bear with me. Um, there was a report um, that a squadron of A-10s came in from Virginia and released flares that would have been the sightings of the Phoenix Lights. Well, our UFO heads aren't going to like that. No, I cannot confirm or deny I was not in Phoenix. I did not see the lights. Yeah. I did see the videos, but it How, did. Yeah, we'd have to really dive into that for me to make a comment yeah, on gonna it. I'm going to keep going through this. Let's um, hear the proposed theory anyways. Yeah, let me find it here. Because I'd have to know like the duration of flares and... How how long were the lights in the sky? Yeah, ba 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 Yeah. Um. Let me keep going here. Um. As I'm looking, there's other things that tend to pop up here. Uh, at the same time, the FBI and CIA come forward with these reports that terrorists are now buying remote-controlled planes to crash them into buildings. Keep in mind that this is 1997. The FBI and CIA received reports that terrorist groups had bought remote-controlled planes that could be used to crash into buildings. And weird, that's four years before that yep. ever happened. That's strange. Um, April 17, 1997, a second A-10 crashes at Moody Air Force Base in Georgia. Almost in... Applying maybe something. Some something strange going on here. Yes. April 20th, 1997. Debris found on the mountain, maybe from the missing A-10. On April 10th, 1997, CNN reported that searchers had located metal objects they believed to be wreckage of a missing A-10 Thunderbolt warplane. An Air Force source told CNN. The Air Force source said that the... Uh, that what appeared to be wreckage from the plane was spotted in the air Sunday on or near New York Mountain, near Vail, Colorado. No ground crew, crews had reached the site, but additional air crews were dispatched for further investigation. Officials saw no urgency to risk sending in a ground crew. Okay, so the crew of the helicopter that found him said they spotted debris on a sheer clef, cliff. One that... Um, one of the searchers said they'd flown by probably 20 times. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's like missing 411 all over it with the search parties, you know, searching an area and then coming back and being like, oh, weird. I found it. They saw the first thing they noticed were a couple pieces of paper is what they put in the report. So you're on a 13,000 foot cliff 
You had a plane that crashed essentially 18 days before that obliterated itself and you were finding pieces of paper. Isn't it typically like really windy up there too? Yes. The paper was unusual at such a high altitude. The chief warrant officer, Richard Rugg said, then something just caught my eye. Um, their helicopter with, went within 30 feet of the site and then they identified gray painted metal that could have come from the inside of the A-10 and several smaller pieces of metal. So essentially what caught, what caught their eye was fucking pieces of paper. That's weird. Why wasn't the paper consumed in the fireball that was saw in the infrared crash? Why wasn't it blown off from the winds on a 13,000 foot cliff? How did it stay in one spot on a mountain face for 20 days? Well, uh, another question for my military air pilots out there. How much paper is in an A-10 Warthog? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Why was it missed by the 30 other helicopters that flew over the fucking place? Right. Because I feel like there's just not going to be a lot of paper in the airplane. Yeah. Not a lot of use for it. Unless you're going to turn the paper into giant spit wads and reload the gun. <laughs> Maybe that's what they were shooting. I hope so. Is that live ordinance? I mean, technically, it's got saliva on it. Yeah. And, I mean, like, it's high enough up there that officials were still concerned about unpredictable winds at high elevations there to send crews in. There you go. But the paper was still there. That's strange. That's really weird. Uh, and it was definitely paper. It wasn't some other type of material. That's that's what they said. Okay, I don't know. If, you know, I I don't really know what it would be like a netting or something, but I I don't know. Yep. Didn't and know then, if maybe it was just something that caught their eye. Right off the rip, the public is warned against trying to reach the search site to look for Button's body. Uh, from there, the A10 is positively identified of the as those of Buttons. Um kind of strange that they warned the public about it about trying to look for it because i don't feel like many people are going to be willing to climb what was it thirteen thousand feet or whatever it was yeah it's a long way up they definitely don't want you there poking around right april 25th human remains of a10 pilot is found but they are not confirmed to be buttons until months later uh they had to use a dna test to determine if they belong to button once they did confirm it, they said that his toxicology reports came back as not showing any drugs or alcohol in his system. Another question here, um, not to be insensitive, but if the plane was found in two-inch pieces... They said there's not a whole lot of him left. Okay. Yeah, that's why like they said, had to use DNA. Not trying to, to be uh, insensitive there, but... yeah. That uh, just kind of a kind of a reasonable question, I would say. I'm still everybody bear with me here because I'm still looking through this. There was another piece here talking about the explosions, right? They said that two F-16s were dispatched at ex- pretty much exactly the same time the button would have went through. So those could have accounted for explosions, sonic booms. Touche. Yeah. An explosion yep, yep. could have also been them shooting button out of the sky. Also true. Also, which dude, I'm not, I'm not even going to lie. Once again, if button was on some crazy stuff, 
it would be completely plausible to me that they would shoot it out of the sky and that they would also cover up said story. Because once again, you don't want to look like an idiot in front of the American people, especially when it comes to live ordinance and missing what you could label as a terrorist in a military aircraft. You know what I'm saying? Like that, that narrative could get flipped in muddy real fast. Yep. 100%. Um, so back to the Phoenix lights. So the report is that a squadron of Maryland air national guard, a 10 warthog pilots dropped these flares that were what everyone was seeing in Phoenix that night. So. This person is stating that he saw he had witnessed a boomerang-shaped craft prior to the Phoenix Lights. So he's assuming that the Air Force knew about this and that NORAD, being a space fucking science place, for lack of a better term, (laughs) also saw this boomerang coming. Okay. So Like they physically saw it? Probably on radar and shit. Okay. So he's pushing this narrative that they dropped these flares to get the public ready for whenever this boomerang-shaped ship actually made contact with Earth. Okay. So this Maryland Air National Guard A-10 squadron comes out, drops the flares everybody videotapes it everybody's like holy shit there's all of these fucking ufos all over the place an email from a base security guard indicated that he confirmed that craig's plane were also flying and dropping flares in a v pattern directly before the mass sightings on 31397 interesting so, either he was part, either Craig was part of this UFO cover-up, or Craig is being used as a cover-up for something bigger. Yeah, and the other thing, when it comes to this UFO intersection here, I would like to know why... They sent the A-10 Warthog out. They said that they used those because um, they even talk about it, if I can find it. I was going to say, because it seems impractical to me that you would send A-10 Warthogs, because I don't think they're air-to-air type of planes. I could be wrong, because I'm not a pilot. They said that they used them because they can fly so close to the ground that it can... um, it has something to do with the sound. Like you can only hear them when they're right on your shit. Okay. So they're kind of more, they're slow, but they're almost more stealthy as sound, as sounds go. I don't know. This dude said it and I'm going to find it. I should have saved all this, but that I works. didn't because they're so fucking I much. mean, that, that does make sense, you know, but because I, I was, I guess I had the impression that they sent the Warhogs out to do this flying V essentially. And then the, the almost in, like, I guess in my brain, they were also 
being prepared to possibly engage said boomerang UFO that was coming to the earth. So because it, I don't know much about them, but I don't think they're very good at like air to air combat situations. Uh, this could is be wrong, though. A-10 flying in an arc, dropping flares, could easily account for the now-famous flare drop. Um, the A-10 has the highest payload-carrying ability of any single sea aircraft in the U.S. arsenal. Uh, would be ideal for carrying heavy, light-generating, and other electrical equipment. Also makes sense. Um... This gets a little strange. The pilot who flew these missions may not have even known their true mission until it was too late. They may have been told to test these new tactical lighting apparatuses, go to a certain spot in the sky, fly a certain path, who knows for sure, or more sinister aspects of this case, like the wiring harnesses and the remote control hijacking of the aircraft cannot be ruled out since the FBI and the CIA just put out the terrorist had the ability to to remotely pilot aircraft. Right, yes. Uh, The planes would be ordered to fly in a particular zone and do a pre-planned combat maneuver. In essence, they would be doing all the necessary components of a bombing run, except their target was to drop flares in the sky at a specifically modified rate and special altitude, except their target or rate of climb and compass direction. The purpose of all this would be to confuse the reports given by ordinary citizens whether or not the pilots who flew these missions knew what was happening or not. So essentially like a smokescreen. Like, oh, there's all these, there's going to be these boomerang sightings Let's do this first. Right. Now the water's really fucking muddy. Yeah. And then they could kind of chalk it up to training drills and et cetera, et cetera. Yes. Perhaps another squadron was dispatched to drop specifically modified flares, flying special patterns meant to mimic patterns seen in real UFO accounts. Um, Could this A Maryland A-10 squadron be the cover story and the deception plan? Interestingly enough, this Maryland A-10 squadron, the mission they were on to come to Arizona was called Operation Snowbird, which is not so coincidentally the name of of an admitted project of the same name, which was to deceive the public about UFO incidents. Weird. Strange. Strange. The planes most capable and likely to carry out these maneuvers would most certainly be the A-10 Thunderbolt II, nicknamed the Warthog. Of all the A-10's flight characteristics, it makes it perfect for the job. Um, The A-10 was designed for subsonic, very low treetop level attack and bombing. Uh, They were used as tank killers. Secondly, the A-10 can fly so low that a person on the ground can't hear them until they are already over your head. So in terms of jet noise, they can be very hard to detect from a distance. Also, I know I have no direct knowledge of any noise-canceling technology which the A-10s can use now. I have no doubt that they have developed such machines and could employ them in Phoenix in the March of, in March of 1997. Damn, that's crazy. Did not know that about the old A-10. It is fucking nuts. Um, I'm going to keep looking through here. But yeah, that'll, that'll definitely step on some Phoenix Lights lovers. Yeah. Um, I never considered that, that they used, uh, like some specialized flare or lighting device. Yep. So essentially he was part of this cover up to muddy the water of the actual UFOs that were being sighted and could have been sighted in Phoenix. But the, why, why off him? Maybe he found out. It's possible. Because he said that they didn't know that 
they weren't sure if these pilots knew that they were a part of this. They were just sent out. And once, once everybody saw it and there's, you know, there's hundreds of videos coming out. You even had the, the fucking mayor or the, yeah. the Senator coming out with a dude dressed in an alien costume, trying to discredit everybody. So maybe these guys were going to come out and like, Hey, yo, we, they had us do this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that, that would give, that, I mean, that is a logical explanation as to why he got cl- he'd get clipped. Yeah. In another um, interesting twist here. Keep this in mind. The trainer that was training Craig Button died less than a month after he his plane was found. May 27, 1997, another A-10 crashes. Investigation alleges pilot error. Captain Amy Lynn Svoboda was flying her A-10. Let me see here. When the two A-10 aircraft were reported on the mission by an A-10 forward aircraft controller, when the aircraft uh, the aircraft controller said that the pilot flying toward the aircraft control saw another A-10 below him at 3,000 feet, um, she climbed to an altitude of 8,000 feet before leveling off. Um, anyway, she ended up crashing and dying as well. Which is pretty fucking strange. Yeah, I mean, outside of sabotage, UFO, I wonder if there was any type of like major malfunction in the Warthog at that time. Uh, it is weird that they were all going down at yeah. the same time. And it's weird that the two people essentially connected to, like her and Button, were connected to one another. Yeah. And yeah, they were also, weird. they also could have been connected to the flares that were dropped. So as I'm and looking, she would, she would essentially be like a commanding officer to him in a way. Yeah. She was his, his trainer. And I would assume that would kind of be like a commanding officer. I'm not, I'm not sure uh, uh, if I'm wrong, please let me know. She was one of 14 female pilots in the air force. Sabota was a chief of training for the 355th wings, 354 squad fighter squadron. She was the first female air force pi- fighter pilot to die in a crash. Man, that's not, that's not something you want to be the first at. That sucks, but it is weird that like she was directly his trainer. Yeah, it's, <sighs> It seems a little, it's a little sussy. So as I was digging through this about like the possibility of Button's plane being remote control, being remote controlly flown, I find this other article that is just fucking bonkers. Let me tell you. Well, I like that. I'm just going to touch on it a little bit here because I might just do a whole episode on it. Time polarization weaponization. Sounds intelligent. Yeah. So, essentially, if you can manipulate time enough, you 
can do a lot of terrible shit on a human body. So before I'm not going to get into all the ins and outs, I'm just going to talk about this thing that they call a mind snap. It's based on the fact that the flow of time must be fairly smooth for the somewhat fragile mind-body coupling loop, which I'll have to find that out and see what the fuck that's about. But whatever this mind-body coupling loop is, the flow of time has to be smooth for it to remain intact. You can stand time changes if gradual, but if one jerks the time flow, that instantly snaps the mind completely from the body. Now, every cell, amoeba, germ, and virus has its own little mind part since it's a living entity, and hence has a mind coupling loop. All those in the time-jerked areas are instantly broken. A human body is instantly and totally dead in every cell and every part of every cell. Not a single nerve cell fires thereafter. No viruses or germs or bacteria are left alive. The body falls like a limp rag, converted instantly into something like a slab of beef, Uh, The weapon was tested twice in Afghanistan on members of two villages. It was deliberately small, fired from hind helicopters. Russian troops then pumped uh, the dead bodies full of bullets. Afghan freedom fighters thought it was some kind of fast-acting nerve gas and called it smirch gas, meaning wind of death. It's said to keep this in mind during, like, cattle mutilations where the carcasses lay out in the desert and do not decay. It's essentially because everything living inside of it is dead. The bacteria, everything just just stops. Um, They specifically mention Craig Button in this article. They're talking about putting together transmitter teams for psychoenergetic takeovers where they can use these mind snaps in different... Um, frequencies to essentially um, almost like control people. It says, remember Craig Button flying his A-10 warthog, warthog toward the range when suddenly he peeled away from his companions and flew off across the country for over an hour? He ignored all radio messages, circled at one point, probably dropped his ordinance there, then flew until he crashed into the side of a mountain and was killed. That was a deliberate test in the mid-U.S. to to demonstrate that a human could be controlled for one hour while doing a technical set of tasks, a.k.a. flying an airplane, in a hypnagogic state successfully. And And the test was a total success. They're saying that the KGB has this ability and Button was essentially used as a flex saying that if we can get your men to fly their plane into the side of a mountain, what else can we get them to do? That's terrifying. It's, I don't know. I'm sorry. It was all over the place, but it is all over the place. So we're left with, uh, Craig's plane hitting the side of a mountain. We don't know why. Supposedly, we don't know how. Well, we don't know if it's Craig's plane. the The plane VIN number says it's Craig's plane. Convenient. His body pieces were up there. 
we still have 500 pounds of, or 2,000 pounds essentially, of MK2 bombs that have not been found. They also noted that those bombs would have made a pretty significant crater if they were just dropped and hit. They also said that if they were, if they were, um, undetonated, I guess, where they, where they wouldn't, they were not live, that those bombs were created to stay intact. They would have been probably the most intact thing left of that plane. They said they're, they're designed to go through concrete fucking buildings without blowing up. So we don't know what happened to Craig other than it's weird. Was he a part of some weird NORAD cover up disinformation campaign as to whatever was behind the Phoenix lights? Was he a mind experiment from the KGB? We don't know, but here we are with no more information than what we found on the internet. (laughs) So all of our air force people, please chime in and correct the people that I used here to cite. Let me tell you who they are outside of that one. Uh, the avgeekery.com I used, Vail Daily newspaper I used, uh, Wikipedia, the academia.edu. Uh, it is interesting. Definitely dive into it. Um, it's wild. Let us know what you think, man. Uh, R.I.P. Craig. For sure. Uh, I don't know what caused you to land up on the side of that mountain, but man... That was a terrible way to go. It definitely sounds like he's part of some type of government cover-up. Yeah, where the fuck are the bombs? Even if, like... I don't know. Like, that's what were they used for something else, nefarious? The fact that they they push all this weird NORAD shit, like, oh, we should be afraid, you know? Yeah. Those bombs weren't going to do shit to the NORAD. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the way that they, they wanted to push, like, Craig had Craig was in total control of the plane. I'll post pictures of the flight path. It is literally a straight fucking line for like 700 miles. It only turns twice at the end. It's weird. It is weird. That's to say the least. But on that note, thanks for hanging out with us today. Thanks for listening. This went over a little bit longer than I planned to, but you know how I do. So check us out on our social medias, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, TikTok, Discord, Reddit. Search up the Hollow Sky Podcast. We will be there until we meet again. Check us out every Monday, Tuesday, the last night shift drops, and Wednesdays at 8 o'clock. Join us on YouTube for the night shift. Daddy's back home. So let's go back in. Um, stay safe and stay weird. And if you get mind snapped, that would probably suck a lot. So don't do that.